The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Good morning and welcome back. Uh, full house and uh, lots of folks uh, still looking for seats. There are some seats down front if you want to come down front. Uh, please don't be bashful about that on the edges over here as well. There are some seats if you want to make your way towards one. Nice to see you back uh, last evening. Uh, I kept going outside, venturing outside, venturing outside, and uh, I think my wife thought I was taking the dog out an excessive amount of times. But uh, what I was looking for was what I call the uh, Cairn University string of pearls, which is the headlights that come in in a line on the night before the semester starts. Uh, and, uh, and it was there, as always, and I'm thankful that you're back. Really great to have you back. Uh, really great to be underway with a new semester. Also, uh, we have some new uh, and transfer students with us. If you're new to Cairn University, new and transfer student, would you please stand and be recognized? Yeah. Welcome. Nice, nice to have you here. And a uh, couple of little uh, housekeeping items to bring to your attention. Um, if you're uh, making your way around campus and you saw the email from Dean Porcella, uh, you know that the uh, library is undergoing a facelift. And I only have one thing to say, the pink is gone. Um, I, I've been waiting over 30 years for that, so we're, uh, I'm, I'm really happy about uh, the way the library is shaping up. We know that it's uh, creating a little bit of upheaval for you, but uh, we're, we're pressing forward to keep moving and complete that second floor as part of this phase of the renovations in the library. Very grateful uh, to the Lord and to the donors who've stepped up, apart from everything else we're raising money for to make this happen. So uh, that's really good news, and we're grateful to the Lord for that. Um, we are, uh, just to give you a, a heads up uh, on the uh, residence hall, we've been uh, what uh, I would refer to as standing on go for a while. Um, everything's been done and submitted, uh, the bank business is done, the design is done, the construction company is waiting for a green light, but uh, we've been hung up with some red tape uh, in the municipality here. And uh, that's really the, the sole reason for the delay. Uh, some of you have asked, uh, is it really going to happen? Uh, did we plan something we didn't intend to do? I try not to do that. Um, we, uh, we actually are, are pressing forward. We're just hung up with some uh, signatures and uh, issues related to bureaucracy of the company's local government. So we're gonna pray uh, at the end of my announcements here for that specifically as a community, but I did want to let you know, we're, we're standing on go and ready to move, and the Lord seems to be uh, watching over us with a relatively mild winter, uh, yeah, almost, almost creepy winter, uh, with 70 degree weather here in January. But uh, we'll take advantage of that and hopefully get pressing forward on construction as soon as we can finalize approvals and signatures from the local authorities. So we wanna be in prayer uh, for that this morning. Another piece of news is that uh, over the Christmas break and uh, the New Year's holiday, uh, we lost a member of the Cairn community who went home to be with the Lord. And this is not someone that is familiar to many of you in the room. 
Miss Stewart uh, served at Cairn University, as you can see, from 1963 until 2009. That's a lot of years, folks. A lot of years. And we don't often call to your attention uh, these kinds of homegoings. Uh, but uh, this person's influence on the institution is significant, uh, spanning several decades. Uh, there are a number of us on the faculty, staff, and administration who were her students, who either studied Greek or philosophy or aesthetics or ethics with her. Uh, she was a fixture here for many, many years and uh, is very responsible for a number of significant projects. She led uh, the charge and did a lot of the work in our early days as an institution to get accreditation with middle states uh, to move us towards not just uh, an accredited Bible college, but a regionally accredited institute of higher learning. She oversaw that process for a number of years. Uh, she worked on a number of strategic initiatives across the university during her service here at the school. But it is her relationship with the students that still stands out. At her memorial services last week, a number of her students, former students, both students from here in the United States and uh, her international students, uh, who many of whom lived in her house for a number of years, were there testifying to Miss Stewart's graciousness and generosity and care and love and instruction. Uh, I remember uh, when I came as a student, Ms. Stewart was very involved in the life of the school, very much uh, helping students who came from other countries to the university. But prior to that uh, leg of her career, when she worked so much to bring international students to campus, Ms. Stewart was always involved in residence life. Uh, she is the one who worked uh, to uh, organize volunteers and uh, painted the houses that we bought in Center City, Philadelphia that were kind of run down that served as dormitories when we were at that location. Then when we moved here in 1979, she organized the effort to renovate the Pendell Apartments, which became the Pendell Dorms. Uh, and I remember when I returned in 2005, Ms. Stewart com uh, commenting to me that she was sorry that her health wasn't stronger because she wanted to be down in Heritage Hall cleaning and painting there in preparation for students. That's the kind of person she was. For decades, Ms. Stewart and Dr. Barry Yoder, who taught science here uh, and a number of other faculties, would take students on camping trips to Florida during spring break. Uh, she was very much an administrator who worked hard for the institution but cared for the students. And so in that vein, the university has decided to name the new residence hall in her honor. Stewart will be the, the uh, first new construction in almost 15 years on campus, and uh, we've created a fund, the May Stewart Memorial Fund, which will raise money uh, to, to go towards that important project here on campus. So we're going to pray for those efforts, for the red tape that we have to navigate, for safe and timely construction, and that this building would be used uh, to serve the Lord well and to bring Him glory and honor, as Ms. Stewart did in her life and in her service here. Please join me. Father in heaven, we do indeed thank you for the privilege that we have to gather here today. We thank you for the blessing and privilege that we have to be at Cairn University together in this time. <clears throat> we thank you for your sovereign care and leading that has brought us together as students, faculty, and staff members for such a time as this. We're mindful, Father, that all these, thing, all these things happen by your good and gracious hand. We're also mindful, Father, that we are not the first students and faculty and staff members to serve here, and should you tarry, we will not be the last. We pray that you would make us mindful of your great provision over more than a century to this university, and we trust that you will continue to provide for it all that it needs as it 
moves forward into what you would have next. We thank you for the life and for the service of those men and women who have committed themselves to caring for and teaching students here, for giving so generously as friends and donors, for the trustees who have served. We thank you this morning specifically for Ms. Stewart, for bringing her to this school to study your word, for bringing her back to this school to teach and to serve, for the ministry that she's had in so many of our lives and in the lives of so many students. We thank you for the lasting impact that will be felt for generations to come because of her faithful and obedient response to your calling in her life. Father, we do pray for this project that we are undertaking, that you would provide for us all that we need according to your good and perfect will. Give us and those working on this new residence all patience to trust you. Give us also the wisdom and insight to move as expeditiously as possible. Father, we pray that this new residence hall would be constructed in a safe and timely way, that it would be used to serve our students and to bring you glory and honor. We pray, Father, for the fundraising efforts related to that, that you would move in people's hearts to honor Ms. Stewart in this way. We pray that in the years to come, when we walk past that building which bears her name, we might give you all the praise and glory and honor, as would be her earnest desire. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> this morning, I'll be beginning a new series. We will uh, move on from uh, sound judgment and we will uh, change gears just a little bit. My hope is that we'll spend the time that I have with you in the Gospels looking at the Lord Jesus through the lens of his disciples. That we will look at the one we follow the way that he is revealed to us in Scripture. That we will uh, perhaps have opportunity to think anew and afresh about who Jesus is and what it means to follow Jesus as we see him in the Bible, as the disciples saw and heard and experienced him. <clears throat> so I want to spend time this semester talking about the one we follow, Jesus through the eyes of of the disciples. And we begin in Mark chapter 1 looking at these earliest experiences the disciples had with Jesus when in fact he calls them to himself. But I want to set a little bit of context. We're going to look at the one we follow and I want to look at it through the eyes of the disciples because this is a biblical idea. Remember in Hebrews, what are we to do? We just sang about it as Dr. Harding led us. We, we, we wad our eyes, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. When the writer of Hebrews is exhorting those Christians who are feeling all kinds of pressure from around them and all kinds of doubts maybe in their own thinking and their own faith to return to Judaism while trying to hang on to Jesus and also re-embrace their Judaism culturally and in every other way, the writer, under the inspiration of the Spirit, says, no, no, fix your eyes on Jesus, who's the author and finisher of your faith. And the implication here is that we are, as his followers, to be looking at him as we move through life. So what we see matters. But I've often thought about that. In fact, when the faculty and staff gathered uh, last week for the prayer service, we were doing just that. We were reading passages of Scripture that pointed us to Jesus Christ, singing about the Lord Jesus Christ, and then thinking about what it means to follow Him and no other. 
You know, it's easy for us to think about this. It's, we know this is part of our Christian culture and experience. You, know, you follow Jesus and not this. You know, that's pretty clear. You follow Jesus and not money. You follow Jesus and not some celebrity. You follow Jesus and not another religion. That's not the thing that's the most dangerous for Christians. What happens to us in our walk with Jesus is we'll follow Jesus and this other stuff. It isn't just that we follow something instead of Jesus, it's that we follow things in addition to Jesus. What the writer of Hebrews is saying to these Christians who are in the midst of that battle is, look, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Why would he do that? Why would he tell them to fix their eyes on Jesus? Because we are too often prone to do otherwise. That's the reality. It's a hard reality but we are prone to do otherwise. There's a reason that the Apostle Paul at the outset of every letter reminds the Christians of who Jesus is and what the gospel accomplishes in their life and in this world. There's a reason that this writer in this letter calls his, his readers to fix their eyes on Jesus. There's a reason these reminders exist because we must be honest about the fact that we tend to drift. We tend to get distracted. We tend to want to add to. We tend to do otherwise than fix our eyes on Jesus. And so what I want us to do this semester is not just talk about fixing our eyes on Jesus, but actually look at Jesus, the one we follow, so that we're crystal clear about who it is that we're following, and that our eyes are fixed on Him accurately. That we're talking about that Jesus, not some other Jesus. The Jesus of the Bible. You know, at Cairn University, we chose the language of our mission and our institutional goals very carefully. Every word matters. And if you've been around here for any length of time, you know how important that is to me and to all of us who are working here at the university. And so uh, that language matters a great deal. Every word matters. Well, goal number two reads this way. The university purposes to develop the character of its students according to the teaching and example of the Lord Jesus Christ. We were going to stop there. That's what we seek to do. We want your character and your understanding to be shaped according to the teaching and example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we saw something happening around us where there was lots of talk about Jesus that seemed to be anything but biblical. That the culture and even Christians in evangelical communities were beginning to sort of shape Jesus in a way that made sense to them or that was more palatable to the unsaved world. And so we were very careful about this, that we purposed to develop the character of our students according to the teaching and example of the Lord Jesus Christ as set forth in Holy Scripture. And that's an important clause. And I don't want you to lose sight of it, not just for this chapel series, but for your life and work here as students, fulfilling your calling in this day right now as students at Cairn University. The other side of it, though, is that not just that we would actually think about Jesus in an accurate way, the one we follow as we see him in Scripture, but also that we might over the course of this semester, be challenged to think about the reality of needing to continue to follow him, to keep our eyes fixed upon him, and to keep following. You know, I think so many times we, we find ourselves in a room like this where we're praying and we're reading scripture and singing fervently. 
we fail to miss that some of us who are participating, even with the earnest energy and desire and fervency, it's fleeting. We, we leave the room and are discouraged or we're, we're off track and we can't wait to get back in here and quote-unquote recharge. But there are others in our midst who are struggling to even participate. I want us to think this semester about what it means to actually follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the followers of Jesus must not simply declare they follow Him. They must actually follow Him. And they should know the one whom they follow. To say we follow Jesus and not be able to describe Him or reflect upon who He is and His attributes and what He's done and what He is doing and will do is really to be doing something that's just vapid, empty, vain meaningless. We are to follow Jesus. And so I want to look at the Scripture this semester, particularly through the eyes of the disciples, to see what they must have seen in looking at Jesus, to think about what they must have experienced and what they saw and heard from Him that would be challenging to them and challenging to you and I. I do believe that there is a a danger for us in the world in which we live. In this world that just finished Uh, writing uh, my article for the next magazine. And we live in a culture that is so, so, I don't know what the word is, committed to, preoccupied with, valuing of, all of the above, individual expression. Whatever you want, whatever you feel, whatever you think, whatever you desire, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to show, all that matters is you getting it out of you and out there for the rest of the world to enjoy or bear. (laughs) And we have to guard against that in a culture that's so, so inundated with this idea of our individual subjective feelings, experiences, and expressions. We have to guard against the mistake of creating an idea of Jesus in our own minds, according to our own needs and our own desires, based upon our own experiences. We have Holy Scripture, and you and I can be students of Him of him. You know, some of the most disturbing things that I've experienced over my life in talking with people about their spiritual life and their faith is when they say things like this, I just don't believe that God would want me to do that, or I just don't believe that God would expect that of me, or I just don't believe that God works that way. That's great. You can say that all you want. That doesn't make it so. I just don't believe that God permits people to suffer. Really? Have you looked around at your life or the life of others or the world? There must be something to suffering. I don't believe that God really delivers people and that people don't change. Really? Do you look around? Have you seen the transformation of people who have come to faith in Christ? I watched my own father, like that, become a new man. But the temptation would be to say, that happens for everyone, because my experience was that, and it doesn't. There are some of you in this room who are grabbed by the ankles of the same thing, by the same thing that you experienced before you were a Christian. We want to shape our understanding of the Christian life, and problematically, Jesus, based upon our own desires and wishes, what we would like Him to do, what we would like Him to be, what we would like Him to do for us, what we would like Him to make of us, what we think He should be doing. And we build those things on our own feelings and desires and wishes and experiences, and that's a mistake we need to be very careful about. 
You know, I think when we look at the Gospels, we see this. We see this. But in this particular passage where we begin this journey this semester in in what it means to follow this Jesus, and we look at the one we follow through the eyes of the disciples, what we see is really great. The disciples, Jesus' earliest disciples, as described here in the passage that Dean Porcella read, these early disciples dropped their nets and they left everything and followed him. And that's great. But they also wanted from him what they were seeking, and they had to learn the hard lessons of their place as his followers. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We know this is the case because every time throughout the Gospels that Jesus was doing something that made the disciples uncomfortable, they really were not happy with it. In fact, we know if you've read through the Gospels and you're familiar with the stories that are, that are recorded for us there, Jesus would do things that would actually get Peter wanting to pull him aside and say, no more talking like that, Jesus. No more doing stuff like that, Jesus. I mean, they're, they're living in a land under the oppressive thumb of an occupying force. Jesus, you're going to get rid of them, right? The Rome, I mean, you come, now the Romans are gone, right? Our people are poor. When you come, everybody's going to be rich, right? Um, We have people who are sick. When you come, everybody will be healthy, right? Uh, When you come, it'll be all glory, right? No shame, no no injury, no insult, no suffering. When you come, you're going to show us what it means to walk free of all that stuff. Uh, But then he's led like a lamb to the slaughter and laid in a grave. The disciples had to learn these hard lessons, and it starts almost from the outset of their walking with Jesus. They wanted him to be what they wanted him to be. And we see that played out in Mark's gospel. In the passage that was read, we see that Jesus is going along the Sea of Galilee and sees Simon and Andrew and calls them and they come. And then he goes on and he sees James and John and he calls them and they leave their father and the hired hands and go with Jesus. The passage that was read ends in verse 20. Uh, They followed him. They went with Jesus. And then the Bible says in verse 21, they went on into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Can you imagine the disciples seeing this demon-possessed person, and then the demon crying out that he knows who Jesus is? Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And here what Mark records for us, probably at the retelling of the Apostle Peter, is this first interaction where Jesus is in the synagogue and this this demon-possessed man, and Jesus casts out the demon, and everybody's amazed. He speaks with authority. And what do they say? He speaks with authority, and even the demons obey him. I have to think that this is Peter looking back on his life saying, "We we should have gotten that lesson a little earlier. 
If at the very outset we declared that the demons obeyed him, man, did I make some mistakes along the way. And so what happens here is Jesus casts out the demon. Everybody's amazed at this. And the disciples are moved. Now, understand, they, they already heard about Jesus. We already have sort of John the Baptist and the whole thing going on as, the, as Jesus is ramping up, so to speak. But this first interaction in the synagogue where de- Jesus casts out this demon sets everything in motion. And in chapter 1, verse 28, it says, At once his, sp- his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region. So now, these men who are called to follow Jesus, the carpenter's son, they're out there now, and he's cast out a demon, and it stands apart from everything else they've seen. He speaks as one with authority. Well, he, yeah, he has the authority. And then it says that the fame spread, and all of a sudden they're swept up into something huge. And it goes on to say, he immediately left that place, left the synagogue, and entered the house of Simon and Andrew, those two brothers, with James and John. The Bible says, now Simon's mother-in-law lay there ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. She didn't just get better, she got better and went to work. That evening at sundown, don't miss this, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. Well, why? Well, he cast out a demon and he healed the sick. So get everybody you know who's in that predicament. Let's get it fixed. And so it says that they brought everyone to him who was sick and oppressed by demons. And look at this. The whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Jesus is healing people. And just think about what this looks like through the eyes of the disciples. This guy that they heard about with John the Baptist, through John the Baptist, and saw this coming. He says, come and follow me. Drop your nets. I'll make you fishers of men. Okay, we're with you. They go with him. They end up in the synagogue. They're not expecting what they see. Jesus casts out a demon with authority. He, he, He casts out a demon who recognizes him as the Holy One of God. And then he goes on to heal people. And now what happens? These obscure, dirty, smelly fishermen who just a short time before were laboring in the hot sun, mending nets, now have the whole town beating down the door. The Bible's pretty clear. The whole city had come to Simon. I I would venture to say that uh, Simon and his brother never experienced that before. The whole city's at the door. Jesus, not only were we nobodies laboring in the hot sun, mending nets and catching fish, now we're with you. Look how great this is. We're with you and we're somebody. We're with you, Jesus, and the whole town's at our door. You healed my mother-in-law, which we should talk about later, but, you, but the whole city is at my door. Right? Is at my door. The whole city's at my door, Jesus. The whole city. We went from being people of obscurity to being the most well-known people in all the land. People are bringing everybody who's oppressed by a demon and sick, and Jesus is reaching out and touching them, and they're being healed. You can imagine the swell of energy and enthusiasm the disciples are feeling. Everything's ramping up. Everything looks like it's pointed in the right direction. They have to be whispering to themselves, look, this guy's the real deal. He speaks with authority we've never heard before. He's casting out demons. He's healing people. His fame is spreading, and everybody's coming here it won't be long till we're free from the romans and everything will be put right 
Except that verse 35 says, And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him, with him searched for Jesus. And then they found him. And what did they say? Everyone's looking for you. Jesus, what are you doing? The whole city's at our door. I mean, honestly, if we pass the hat now, it'd be a good deal for everybody. If, if we actually started, if we actually opened a building right now, we'd be the biggest game in town. Do you realize the opportunity that's in front of us, Jesus? You've done this stuff and now everything's changed. And you disappear in a dark, the darkness of early morning. You disappear and you're out here praying. They say, everyone is looking for you. And what does Jesus say? Let us go on to the next towns that I may be preached there also. For that is why I came out. Jesus, we want you to keep casting out demons, keep healing people, keep the momentum. We've got the big mo, Jesus. We could do something that would change everything right here in this city. No, no, we're going out there to preach, for that is what I came to do. Preach. Jesus, I don't know if you're looking, but I think people prefer getting healed and having demons cast out than the preaching. I, I think people would rather see miraculous events than hear hard truths. I think people would rather look at the signs in wonderment and follow after when they've got all those goosebumps than to hear you say things like, you've heard it said an eye for an eye, but I tell you. I, I think, Jesus, people would rather see this than hear that. And we have momentum. But Jesus says, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. What's the lesson here when we think about this, the one we follow? It's pretty straightforward. We don't take Jesus along with us. We go with him. We don't take advantage or leverage him for our own gain or happiness. We do his bidding and we obey his commands. We have to come to terms with this. Jesus is not waiting for us to invite him into our lives. He invites us into his by calling us to die to ourselves and live in him. These disciples saw an opportunity for Jesus to change everything about their lives and their world, but they wanted what they wanted on their terms. And Jesus says, no, no, I'm going to go preach. And I'm sure some of these disciples were looking down the road saying things like this. It's a darn sight more sure that they're going to kill us for your preaching than they would for the healings. You're putting all of us at risk. But Jesus says, follow me. The one we follow is the one who came to do the Father's will. That's why he came out. And if we're to be his followers, then we must do his. I'm convinced if we spend time thinking about the one we follow... We might find ourselves thinking, speaking, and doing almost everything differently. We might find ourselves developing patterns of faith-filled, obedient, and abundant Christian living where Jesus is the one that is in front of us as we're walking through this life. We're not bringing him along. We haven't added him to the mix. We've fixed our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He is the one we follow. We are his followers. Let's pray. Father in heaven.
We thank you for your goodness and grace, and we pray this semester that you would be at work in our midst to strengthen us in our faith, to make us a blessing and encouragement to one another, to strive in our development and in our training and in our being educated. I pray that you would give these students grace and strength and wisdom equal to the task you've assigned them to be students here at Cairn University. I pray in all of that you would also be at work in them to shape their character according to the teaching and example of our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, as we find him in Holy Scripture. Father, give us the grace to trust you, strengthen our faith to believe in your Son more fully. Father, keep us from the mistake of wanting to follow the Jesus that we want to follow instead of the Jesus as we see him in the Bible. Keep us from making the mistake of setting the agenda for our Lord rather than following His. And we pray this in His name. Amen. Have a great day.